Shut up and sit down. Listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. Here's your host, John Lund. Hello, everyone. You're listening to The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. I'm your host, John Lund, the multimedia sports enthusiast, bringing you this sports show. What's it like to cover the NHL while being a successful savant of the internet? We'll get into that and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve on episode 69 of The Bridge. (laughs) Greetings and salutations, everyone. Welcome back to another installment of The Bridge, coming to you live on Sports Radio America every Wednesday night, 7 to 8 p.m. Eastern Time, to bring you the best and brightest of the sports world. That's right, The Bridge is live on Sports Radio America every Wednesday night, though the show is technically pre-recorded. If you do miss the live show, the podcast version of The Bridge is available 48 hours after the initial broadcast, which means you can find the newest episode on iTunes under The Bridge Sports Podcast or on my website at londonbridge.com on Friday nights. I'll save all the ways you can listen to The Bridge and where you can find the show until the end of this latest installment. If anything, you can call in or text in the show 24-7, 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. Contact the show with your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you'll be featured in the next installment of The Bridge. All right, let's get into the fun stuff. Give me the siren. There's an interesting tradition among hockey fans to either show their joys or sorrows by tossing objects onto the ice. Some are more obvious, like hats for a hat trick, while others are more appalling, like dead creatures of the sea. It's time for the number one sports news anchor parody segment in sports radio. Here's this week's edition of Sports News Red Like Real News. the National Hockey League is often viewed as a niche sport, its fans bleed for the sport and for their teams with unparalleled passion. That passion only grows come playoff time and becomes an unabashed obsession for fans of teams who have the honor of playing for the Stanley Cup. The traditions of the sport also hold strong, from not touching said Stanley Cup unless it's won to avoid a curse, to playoff beards, sudden death overtimes, and throwing objects onto the ice. The most popular item for the latter is hats, which will blanket the ice for a home player who acquires three goals in one game. But other inanimate objects have also been known to make their way over the glass, some symbolic and others downright gross. 
there were burgers thrown in Ottawa when Senators goalie Andrew Hammond, affectionately known as the Hamburglar, had a solid performance in the pipes. There were waffles thrown in Toronto when the Maple Leafs were playing poorly and a fan wanted them to wake up and eat some breakfast. There were rubber rats thrown in Florida as Panthers fans paid a rat trick tribute to Scott Mellenby, who killed a rat in the locker room by shooting it across the floor like a hockey puck before a game in 1996. There's been octopuses thrown in Detroit, a tradition that dates back to 1952 when two seafood owners wanted to remind the Red Wings just how many wins they needed in order to win the Stanley Cup. And in case you're unfamiliar with biology, that number would be eight. There was catfish thrown in Nashville when Predators fans responded to Detroit's tradition back in 2002. That tradition continues today, and even made its way all the way from Nashville to Pittsburgh when the Predators faced off against the Penguins in Game 1 of the Stanley Cup Finals. Though no one expected to see any catfish on ice until the Predators got back to Nashville, that changed when a whiskered mudcat plopped down on the ice in the second period with the Penguins leading the Preds 3 to nothing. The perpetrator was Jake Waddell, who went through quite the trouble to pull off the prank. He was visiting family in Ohio for Memorial Day weekend, so the trip to the game wasn't necessarily as difficult as the preparation for the throw was. Those sea markets in Pittsburgh did their best to prevent any catfish catastrophes, going as far as to require an ID before purchases were made. Jake made sure to come to the city well-prepared. Before the trip, he bought a catfish in Tennessee, sprayed it down with Old Spice cologne, and threw it in a cooler for the long drive ahead. On game night, he went to a cousin's house, filleted the fish, cut out half of its spine, and proceeded to run it over several times with his truck to try and flatten it. That, of course, made it easier to vacuum pack and conceal the catfish. But because the head was too big to fit the fish in his boot, he stored it away between his underwear and a pair of compression shorts hidden within some baggy pants. Once in the arena, he headed down from his upper deck seats to the lower section, with the catfish now wrapped in a free t-shirt from the pregame giveaway after making the switch in the restroom. Then all that was left was the toss, which was executed with the precision of a fish thrower from a famed Seattle fish market. Though Jake would be escorted away by security and detained, the act actually seemed to spirit the Preds, who eventually tied the game at three before losing by two. Jake was charged with disorderly conduct, possessing an instrument of crime, and disrupting a meeting. Thankfully, the charges were dropped from Jake, who lovingly referred to himself as a dumb redneck with a bad idea while describing himself and the event. One thing is for certain, players on both sides better be ready to duck when the series gets back to Nashville. I'm John Lund. 
For sports news, red like real news. Let's take a quick break to go fishing. When we come back, we'll talk to a senior writer from Fox Sports about his writing career and a quest to conquering the internet before actually discussing the NHL playoffs. We'll be right back on the bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports. As you heard earlier in the show, you can call in or text in to the bridge at 929-BRIDGE-7. That's 929-274-3437. Leave a voicemail or text your questions, comments, stories, or hot takes, and you'll be featured in the next installment of The Bridge. Now, we do like to pose a question each show to help give you the urge to call in or text in to The Bridge. This week, we want to know... Who will win the NBA Finals and why? But though almost all sports shows are breaking down the NBA Finals between the Cavaliers and the Warriors and whether LeBron is better than Jordan and on and on and on, I can't. I can't do it anymore. I've had my fill. I've had enough. This year has been so predictable in the NBA, we've been able to break down what we'll see in the NBA Finals for months now, and actually did so on this show twice in the month of May with Josh Eberle and Justin Termini in episodes 66 and 68, respectively. So if you do still need an NBA fix, I highly recommend checking out those shows for their input and following those guys on Twitter throughout the NBA Finals. You can find that information on my website at londonbridge.com or on iTunes under the Bridge Sports Podcast. Now for you longtime listeners of the Bridge, you know we don't often talk about the sport of hockey. In fact... I don't know if we ever have, aside from saying that we don't talk about it. But tonight, tonight, the NHL makes its debut on the bridge. At least for five minutes or so toward the end. This week, we were joined by Fox Sports senior writer Pete Blackburn, who covers the NHL and other topical things throughout the sports world, along with co-hosting a couple of podcasts and conquering the world of social media as well. He's a co-host of the Section 10 podcast that covers the Boston Red Sox in the world of baseball. He's also the co-host with DJ Bean for their show Brunch, which dives into really whatever the hell they feel like talking about each week. I highly recommend checking both of those out if you have some spare time, and we'll actually get into some of the things you might hear on Brunch later in this show. Pete is also a great follow on Twitter for sports news and just general humor. You can find him at Pete Blackburn. That's Pete Common Spelling, Black Common Spelling, Burn Common Spelling. This interview is a little bit longer than usual, but I think it's worthy to take up this whole show this week. And I really enjoyed some of the topics and fun stuff that we were able to chat about as we went along. We'll talk about how he got started in sports writing, what he does at Fox Sports, some of what goes into his podcasts, and some of those topics that they've previously discussed on his shows, like Friday Night Lights and Friends. And we'll also start our hockey discussion, the only place really worthy of starting one, with the Mighty Ducks. 
before Pete then provides some tips to help the non-hockey fans go all in with these Stanley Cup finals. So without further ado, let's get into that interview. We're here with Pete Blackburn. He's a senior writer for Fox Sports, specializing in the NHL and all around internetting and viral prosperity. Pete, thanks for joining the show. How are you? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Not a problem at all. Especially having you on now, I wanted to talk about the NHL and the Stanley Cup Finals just because I'm sick of talking about the NBA for yet another week. But before we get into that, I wanted to turn the clocks back a little bit and weave the web for how you got to Fox Sports, where you are today. What better place to start than with your first sports media brainchild in creating the website, The Nosebleeds, which was chock full of sports, entertainment, pretty much whatever else was on your mind. What would you say the epitaph for that three-part time of your life was and what involved what you had to do with that website as well oh man that was that was uh the glory days uh i started that when i was in college and kind of just that was basically like my first you know dive into the world of sports media and 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 kind of writing and it was just something that i wanted to do for fun to keep myself busy while i was in college and i know like uh, writing about sports has always been a passion of mine, and and that was kind of the way that I channeled it in college. Um, yeah, I didn't, I didn't want to work uh, like crappy jobs for uh, like local papers covering high school sports and stuff like that. So um, I didn't want to do that slog. So I ended up just starting my own blog and kind of writing about the sports stories that interested me and that that I cared about. Um, and you know, it was a lot of fun and it kind of grew a little bit of an audience. And, uh, and then I started getting more into like the viral stuff that, that, that did traffic. Um, and that was kind of funny. So, um, that's kind of where I got my, uh, that's where my knowledge started of like the, the internet landscape. Uh, I feel like a lot of people who don't work on the internet every day don't really get the internet. So, uh, I, I kind of got into it early and I, I understand, I think one of my specialties now is understanding what clicks, uh, what works, like what people will be interested in. Like there's nothing in the world that people on the internet love more than uh, fans getting hit in the nuts and stuff like that. So uh, that's what I learned early on uh, doing the blog. So. So I'll have you take a quick breath here before I ask. Can you give a Cliff Notes version in a way your non-traditional sports writing career path going back to when you got a full-time gig as the editor for Next Impulse Sports? Yeah, I mean, it started with the nosebleeds and uh, just kind of working from there, building an audience while I was in college, just doing it for fun and, you know, part-time between school and stuff like that. Uh then I got the next impulse job right after college based off of getting noticed from the nosebleeds. Um, the people who ran that site uh, knew me from the nosebleeds and, and put me in charge of their site. Um, from the nosebleeds, I went to Uproxx, uh, where I worked on the sports and did a little bit of pop culture uh, as well. And then from Uproxx is where I got approached by Fox, and that's where I am now. So it's uh, it's been a, a quick and... Uh, very surprising and unpredictable rise to Fox Sports, I guess. 
you had a little run as a contributing writer for the extra mustard and hot clicks sports and pop culture sections for SI.com. And Katie Nolan, host of Garbage Time on Fox Sports 1, or was, or will be again. We haven't really heard what she'll be up to next, but we know she'll be doing something. How did she almost get you fired from that gig? Oh, God. Uh, yeah, I was. I did that for a brief period of time, and um, it's basically... For anybody that doesn't know, it's basically just a, um, it's like a link dump. It's the most popular links and stories uh, all in one place from the internet that day. Um, and Katie Nolan one day uh, did a, a video on YouTube in which she she ripped Peter King because Peter King uh, came out in, in defense. I think it's Darren Sharper, um, like in his Hall of Fame candidacy, despite uh, all the rape allegations that were against him. And so Katie Nolan kind of laid into into Peter King for that. Um, and so I posted that video on the hot on hot clicks that day because uh, it was such a it was such a popular thing and it was going around uh, it was going viral that day. Uh, and it was a hot thing on the internet. So I decided to include it in hot clicks and it didn't even cross my mind. Uh, Peter King is an employee of Sports Illustrated. So uh, that didn't go over well with the, the higher ups at, at, at SI. So, uh, yeah, I almost got fired, uh, out of that gig because of that. So, um, dodged the bullet there. Yeah. There were two reasons for that. One is I enjoy just thinking about what Peter King's emotions were and the expletives that were probably flying when he saw that was there. And maybe Katie Nolan will spend summer vacation coming on to my show. So I think we've hit on pretty important topics with that question. (laughs) Yeah, I guess it actually came from Peter King uh, that he was not happy at all about it being on the website. Um, And I don't know if it was him that requested that I lose my job, but uh, it came from somebody. That was probably one of those does he know who I am type moments. And I guess right. everybody found out pretty quickly. Through all of that, you're writing, you're on air, you're on social media. Was it challenging for you at all to find your voice in those mediums? And what worked best for you in doing so? The thing that works best, honestly, and this is what I tell everybody, is just reps. Uh, like doing the nosebleeds and doing that for three, four years or however long I did it that was a really important time because it allowed me to experiment and kind of, uh, like, like you said, find a voice and, uh, that that's super important. And I think that it, you kind of figure out what works best for you. The more you do it, the more reps you have, uh, the more comfortable you get and you kind of decide what you want to be, who you want to be, uh, how you want to write. And I think, you know, it, it really just comes, with the more you do it. And I'm lucky enough that I started early. Uh, and I feel like I'm in a pretty good place now where, uh, I have a style and I have a voice and, uh, I mean, I'm sure that it's going to continue developing as I, as I do it, as I work. So, um, who knows where it'll go, but I'm, I, I think that that starting early and, and doing it and writing as often as you can is the most important thing. How would you describe your role at Fox Sports now for what you cover? Is it the hockey guy who also dabbles with fun sports, pop culture, something along those lines? Yeah, I think that's where it is now. Um, interestingly enough, I wasn't brought in as you know the hockey guy. Like They didn't bring me in to be their NHL uh, reporter or whatever, um, and I'm still not that technically. 
Um, but a lot of the stuff that I do, uh, primarily most of the stuff that I do is, is hockey related just because there's nobody really else that does it at Fox. Um, so, so most of those stories go uncovered. Um, and, and honestly, in every other sport that we have, uh, and that we cover on the site, we have a team full of people and they're really, really great at staying on top of stories. So, um, you know, I'll take whatever they haven't gotten to. Um, but primarily what I do is cover the, cover the NHL and cover hockey. Um, and I try to do it in a way that, cause I'm not going to be like a full team of people, uh, as, as one guy. So, um, I try to do it in a way that's unique in a way that, you know, I'm not going to get every single story, but maybe people come to Fox sports to get something that is a little different than where they'd get anywhere else. So, uh, that's kind of the goal. What would you say the first piece that stands out is if I were to ask what's been one of your favorite things that you've been able to write about, whether that was from nosebleeds working all the way up until now as well? Oh man, that's a good question. Uh, I think there, there are a few pieces that stick out to me. Um, one of them uh, was from this past year where I wrote about um, the NHL needing to market its stars more and needing to embrace personality um, and individuality. Uh, that's something that I feel really strongly about, and I ended up talking to uh, a ton of players and, and uh, past, present, former players. Um, like, it, I got uh, Mark Messier, uh, P.K. Subban, and, and kind of just talked to a bunch of guys about the individual aspect of the game and... Uh, so I, that was a longer piece, and uh, I felt really proud of that one. But uh, going back, uh, there, there was a I wrote at Uproxx one of the first ever music profiles I did was on a, a band that I really really love, uh, and it's Fiddler, um, and they're basically a punk band, and and they're kind of newish, um, but I really love them, and I I got to interview lead singer in that band and kind of, he kind of opened up to me and, and he told me that he had uh, he's been struggling with his drug addiction issues uh, between the first album and the second album so that was a really cool experience uh, just kind of uh, you know being able to get that information from somebody and, and then turn it into um, a profile of a band that I really care about I thought that was awesome and that was uh, that's been a highlight too let me switch to the extracurricular things that also make up a good majority of your fan base as well. You're the co-host of two podcasts, the Section 10 podcast, which focuses on the Red Sox and baseball, and the podcast Brunch, which focuses on whatever the hell you guys feel like talking about that yeah. might be timely. And what's more impressive in its own right is that you were able to get that title for a podcast and that no one else had already had that. With Section 10 to start, how did you get involved with Jared and Steve, and how would you describe what you guys do each week? Uh, the story of me and Jared's friendship is an interesting one because uh, we both went to Endicott, but I never, ever saw him at school. We kind of did the night school thing, so we ended up you know, going to Endicott together, but we our friendship didn't start there. I actually roomed with one of his best friends uh, at Endicott, and I met him through him. And then I ended up staying in touch with Jared more than I did the other kid, uh, just because I knew, you know, Jared had been doing the Sox based thing. He, he was interested in, in, you know, pursuing a career uh, like 
liked me and, and kind of the thing that I was doing and, and the blog hustle and all that. So uh, I stayed in touch with him. Eventually, we just decided that, hey, we should give the podcast thing a shot. We talked about it for a while before it actually came to fruition. Um, and so we just ended up going for it one day. And uh, it, it was, uh, you know, it was, it's, it, was a, it was a learning experience. It was a learning curve. We didn't know what the hell we were doing. Um, but it's come a long way. Uh, Steve's another guy who went to Endicott that I didn't really, I didn't really know or didn't really talk too much during uh, during our days at the school. But all three of us Endicott alums who didn't know, who didn't really know each other, and it, it ended up working out really well. And the show's kind of taken off, and a lot of it's credit to Steve when he came on and his uh, his ability to up the production value of the show. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, we have a lot of fun, and I think that's the most important thing. If any fans of Barstool Sports might be listening, could you refresh their memory of how to say Jared's last name? Uh, it depends who you ask at Barstool. Uh, <laughs> uh, it's Carabas, but um, if you ask his his boss slash colleague, it might be Carabas, it might be Carabas, or Carabas, whatever, like... It changes on a day-to-day basis. I just wanted right. to make sure we got that set straight before we moved on. You cross paths with brunch co-host DJ Bean through Twitter, through working on WEEI, and obviously liked him enough to want to talk for several hours each week with him. How did brunch come to be, and, and how would you describe what you guys do on that end as well? Uh, me and DJ's friendship built through Twitter, um, through Bruins when he was on the Bruins beat and I was kind of just like a Bruins super fan, uh, trying to make it. And I think, you know, I, I didn't have any sort of online presence before, um, becoming friends with DJ. So, um, it kind of just built through, through Bruins fandom. And, uh, eventually he got his radio show on WEI and asked me to be a part of it, which was really awesome. Uh, and I jumped at that opportunity uh, so I got to know him uh, a little bit more doing that. And, you know, obviously at, at some point we exchanged numbers and, and uh, you know, both of our interests extend far beyond just sports and just hockey. So we ended up texting a lot about, uh, like, music and, and TV and uh, other kinds of pop culture and shit that's going on. So, um, yeah, I mean, once uh, once we kind of had that relationship established, we had, you know, basically, I was in the podcast game already. I really enjoyed it. I know DJ had interest in in doing a podcast of his own, and I was like, "Well, we talk about all this stuff on our text chain, and 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 you know, we have these all these interesting conversations, uh, you know, through text, and then when we hang out occasionally. So why not just bring it to a podcast where we kind of there are really no restrictions. It's not going to be a sports podcast. It's not going to be a hockey podcast. It's not going to be uh, a strictly pop culture podcast. We can just talk about whatever, whatever we feel like at, at, on that given day, and uh, it's 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 a whole lot of fun. Um, I might enjoy that one a little bit more than Section Ten, honestly, um, just because there's no real um, there, there's no real restrictions on it, and it's it's you know we can go to the, some really really weird places, and we have so it's it's a ton of fun. I wanted to hit on a couple topical points from that podcast. We could really spend the entire day just going over highlights from the different things you guys have spoken about. But one of the 
five-episode series was called Clear Eyes, Full Hearts Podcasts, breaking down every season of Friday Night Lights. And like you, I was late to the game watching the series and even talking about it now sort of makes me want to watch it again immediately tonight. But I have to ask, and I don't want to sway or direct your answer to this, so I'll keep quiet while you go, but immediate thoughts here. Matt Saracen and Julie Taylor. Oh, that is one of the weirdest and most uncomfortable relationships in the history of television, I think. Um, just the whole Matt, Matt Saracen's whole existence is, is pretty cringeworthy and pretty um, uncomfortable. Uh, and just the fact that you know, him getting involved with, with the coach's daughter, man, that, that leads to some very, very uncomfortable and awkward situations. And it, it's a weird story. It's a weird storyline. He's one of the saltiest quarterbacks that's ever won a state championship, for one. And really, she's a harlot. You know, if we get down to it, she's a trollop, <laughs> is what it comes down to. I don't understand why they made those characters, maybe in a way so real to us, because that's what a lot of people are like, even in high school. But sometimes it was just so frustrating, especially when they ended up getting back together. You're both awful people. Move on and find somebody that can make you guys better. Seriously, I agree with that 100%. You've coached Taylor as a father. Can't you emulate him, that beautiful man, his beautiful wife? It was just a frustrating part of the show. But then there was other aspects that make you forget about that, make you have fun, until you get a little bit older and realize Tim Riggins was an alcoholic at the age of 15, and they don't really build that up in season one. Oh, they really, really, really glaze over the fact that Tim Riggins has a, has a, a legitimate problem as a 15-year-old in high school waking up uh, drunk at 7 in the morning with no clothes on, uh, sleeping with his best friend, his paralyzed best friend's girlfriend. Uh, and he makes a lot of questionable decisions. And still, I mean, he's a character I love. And I think pretty much everybody who watches that show absolutely loves Tim Riggins. But that that guy has some demons. Uh, and I think it just, all of that just kind of gets glazed over because he, he's a guy that they build up with such a good heart uh, and with such good intentions. But he's a very, very flawed character. Such an interesting character, too, because if you were to watch that series, if we were to as well in high school, we'd probably think that guy was an asshole and we never want to hang out with him. But when you're in your mid-20s and he's doing things that we probably do on a weekend, it's like, this guy's very relatable, even though you'd sometimes forget, even in the first season, this guy's not even a senior yet and he's doing all these things. It's it's very hard to wrap your head around some of the storylines in that show. Right. I mean, in the, in the beginning of the series, they don't really address how exactly how old these guys are. So I think most people just assume that they're probably seniors. Um, like, Riggins has shown up drunk to football practice um, and, and all that stuff. And then in the, in the second season, they're like, oh, yeah, these guys are just old. They're only juniors now. So they were sophomores last year. And you're just like, what? How are these guys so messed up? But, I mean, it is Texas. And there are some weird things that go down in Texas. They breed a different kind of people. I just hope there's never a moment where I do decide to go through the series again and maybe in an older age just go, this is really effed up, and I don't know if I can enjoy it as much anymore. But for now, it still has a very special place. When that theme song comes on to start it, you just know you're in for something fun. Along with another Absolutely. beloved show for you and DJ, Friends. 
huge part of the brunch podcast. I know that's one of your favorite fonts as well, even for the merchandise. As someone well-versed in the show, what's something that you hate about it? Whether that's a broken storyline, one that never happened, how unaffordable that apartment was for the jobs that they had in order to live in it, a particular character or relationship, what pisses you off the most looking back on that series? I think there are there are a lot of aspects of Friends that that I didn't particularly enjoy or uh, understand. Um, I, I think that it's it's one of those shows that at points you hate watch it, um, but you know you you love it even for its flaws. Uh, I mean, I obviously I think the one that that a lot of people point to uh, as a really annoying part of the show is when Joey started to fall in love with Rachel. That was kind of like. That was later on in the series and got a lot of people to roll their eyes. And they were like, all right, just be done with this by now. Because it's been way too long on it. So it was like, just be done with this. Let's forget this ever happened. Um, I mean, uh, while, while we went through it, because I, re- I rewatched it recently and I still watch episodes all the time and stuff like that. Um, uh, one of the things that we picked up on while discussing it is just that I mean, that show was was a real product of, of you know, the era that it was made in, in, in the 90s. And uh, it, it hasn't held up super well, uh, especially, like, there are certain parts of that show that are very homophobic and that probably wouldn't go well if it was on TV right now. Um, like, there's one, there's a line that we always go back to, and it's in, in an episode where he's got a dance um, for, or he helped. Traeger, who manages the building, he helps him learn how to dance for some event or something like that. And uh, Joey comes back to the apartment and he opens the door, closes it. And the first thing that uh, Monica says to him is, how is dancing? Gay yet? And there's like one of those things where if that was on TV now, oh man, there would be articles all over the place and uh, it would be generating a buzz kind of with the, uh, the outrage uh, atmosphere of the internet so uh, it hasn't held up particularly well i'm sure that day is going to come a young blogger is going to go very in depth with how potentially racist friends was huffington post will pick it up before you know it there's going to be a whirlwind and you're going to have to maybe stand on a soapbox and be like hold on a second let's remember when this was let's relax right I'm pretty i'm pretty sure that that it's already been written about uh where somebody's gone back and just like highlighted I know, I know for a fact that somebody's gone back and, and highlighted all the points in which, uh, which Chandler was was like, uh, I don't know, I don't know if it's like homophobic or, or transphobic against his father, um, but yeah, somebody already went back and did that. And uh, there's been a lot of, I mean, Friends is a classic TV show, so it's not that surprising. But there's been a lot of modern, very recent dives into friends in which people like really analyze the stuff that goes on there, which is kind of crazy. Like somebody calculated the exact debt that, that Joey was into Chandler uh, throughout the course of the series. And it was some astronomical number, but somebody like really, really went in, did the math and thought of everything to come up with that number. And that's kind of crazy. That's that blessing and curse of Netflix when you could just binge watch a show in a week and have all your notes ready to go so you could do those long-form pieces. If I were to ask you who your favorite show guest is, why would you most likely answer that it was Miles Teller? Ah, that's a a tough one. I mean, Miles Teller is for sure. 
he was like a white whale um, where we were kind of, we grew to, to cultivate like an obsession with Miles Teller for some reason. I mean, I, I really like him. I do. I like him as an actor. I think that um, he's one of those guys where there's like a, there's a little bit of like mystery to Miles Teller where it's like, you can't tell if he's, if he's a douche or you can't tell if he's a, uh, if he's just like a good guy who's kind of misunderstood and, you know, somebody who's kind of relatable, where you'd be like, "Well, I, I'm this. I might think this way, or I might say this thing, and it might be uh, like interpreted differently than what I meant." So, uh, yeah, we we kind of like we kind of related to Miles Teller, and, and we uh, grew an obsession with him. And then we finally got him on the podcast uh, via an interview for a movie that he was doing on the red carpet. So that was awesome. That was like a really really exciting thing for us. But I think honestly, like our favorite guests and it has to be like a tie between randy havens uh who plays mr clark in stranger things and uh lena wake who plays denise in master of none uh just because those people came on the show without any without knowing what it was and and i mean especially especially lena i think she was one of our first guests and we didn't have much of a listenership and she came on and she was super cool with us um and both those people just they were like very conversational. They they didn't like try super hard to pump their their uh, their careers and their work and stuff like that. They just wanted to have a conversation with us, and uh, it ended up being awesome. And we've developed really strong friendships with them uh, based on the interviews that we did. But like uh, now we text with Lena all the time, and and uh, we talk to Randy about about you know basically on a weekly basis, just a basis about uh, just anything. So. Uh, just getting be able to being able to be friends with those people and pick their brain, uh, they they've got to be our favorite guests. If you get Sinbad onto the show, will you tailor that main focus of the interview around Jingle all the way? I think we have to, right? I mean, that's that's got to be uh, Sinbad's best work for sure. Not a question. That's like his opus for at least what our generation might remember him for. Forget about all the work he did on TV and building his brand and comedy and whatever else he's done. My first introduction for him was chasing down the Turbo Man doll. Right. And I think so it's got to be either that or the, the fake movie that he's in. You know that story where like people remember Sinbad in, in a genie movie that never actually existed. He's never played a genie. But Apparently, I, I felt like I, I remember as a kid seeing him in some genie costume for a movie. Um, and I think that the movie's called like Kazam or Shazam or whatever like that. Um, and a lot of people have this memory of him playing a genie in a movie and it just never existed. And people are misremembering it. So that's a wild story. So they're basically misremembering him for Shaquille O'Neal then. <laughs> yeah, so but I, I don't even think it's that. I think it's like there was I distinctly remember a uh Sinbad in a in a genie costume. Uh and it, it definitely like it's hard to it's hard to mistake Shaquille O'Neal for anybody. Right. So I I rem, I, think, I swear I remembered uh Sinbad being in a being a playing a genie in a movie, but apparently I guess it never happened. So um, that's something that I would love to talk to him about. So those are the two things we have to get down to if you were to have him on For sure. the show. That's we tried, man. We we tried pretty hard to get Sinbad on the show, and 
he's an elusive guy for for somebody that's not exactly super relevant anymore. <laughs> so let me get to what's been your internet opus, the world of Twitter, specifically your affinity for creating the perfect gif, creating a perfect tweet. You're affectionately known by some internet trolls as Gif Boy. Why haven't you marketed that for starters on a T-shirt or something? Well, I mean, I think it's. I mean, first of all, it was used as an insult, obviously. And, uh, <laughs> originally, um, that's it was kind of. You know, I was called that because there's a certain person who is on the Bruins beat who didn't see any value in me other than just me being the gift creator. So that's that's fine. Um, uh, so I guess it just, I didn't think of, it, it ended up becoming more than that. Like it was just kind of like a, now it's a joke in this game and, and, uh, you know, it's, it's done more out of love now from the people who follow me. Um, but I think that the reason that it wasn't marketed or I didn't try to push it more, um, is just that like, I, I, I want to be seen more than more, uh, I want to be seen as somebody who does more than just gifts and, and kind of. Um, like I want to be known more for my writing, more for my personality. Um, but the gifts, I mean, obviously help generate uh, a, a bigger following, which is why I do them and, and, uh, it helps grow the audience and they've done a lot for me. So, um, yeah, I mean, like I, I don't have a problem with the gig boy thing anymore. Just like, uh, I never really did because I, I thought it was funny to insult somebody for, for making gifts and, and saying that there's no value in them. Uh, and that person who insulted me now uses gifts all the time. So, um, jokes on him. Uh, but yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, you know, like, I, I don't think that the, the gift boy thing is particularly bothersome, but I don't really want to market myself as gift boy. There's nothing like making fun of someone for making something fun. That's a great way to make a comeback for somebody. Hey, quit enjoying yourself online and having other people enjoy what you're doing. Is there one that yeah, stands we, out for you as one you're most proud of or one that you're most favorite of roasting someone for? Yeah, I mean, like, the, the actual, like, gifts uh, that are ripped from, from, like, games and stuff like that uh, and are just straight highlights. Those, those particularly, like, don't stand out to me just because uh, there are so many of them that I've made over the years and that they're kind of just, you know, I, I, I make them and then I kind of forget about them, uh, even if they even if they kind of blow up. So the things that really stick out to me are the ones that, like, the, the vines that I used to make when vine was a thing. Uh, and if, if there's something that I can add a little creativity to, um, and make it make it a little bit more like original content rather than just a straight highlight. If there's something that I add humor and creativity to, and that blows up, that sticks out in my mind more um, than than any like straight highlights. Just because uh, it was, I had to put more effort into it and put a little bit of myself into it to make it blow up. So those are the ones that stick out to me, like the Milan Lucic uh, dancing to Taylor Swift. Um, that one was, was really, really awesome just because it, like nobody else was going to do that. It just happened to come from me and people really enjoyed it. So, uh, so those are the kind of things that, that make me prouder that just like having a, a regular tweet go, go viral. I'm glad you brought up Taylor Swift because I jotted down this quote and I didn't know when I was going to be able to throw it in, but I think it's hilarious and actually close to how I feel about the situation. You said, I don't want to date or make sex with Taylor Swift. She's very pretty, 
but I like her because she makes absolute heaters in the studio. I date her music, but I'm not sexually attracted to Taylor Swift. As someone who owns all of her albums and feels the exact same way, maybe we should make this a thing like a club because I don't know how I would feel if I was to go out on a date with Taylor Swift. I have these grand things in my mind, but I feel like it would just be a letdown just maybe getting through her personality or however the night might go. When you put on her music, you're able to just sort of weave this web of how great things might be. And I think that's just because, as you said, she's making heaters in the studio. Yeah, I mean, I think that's 100% the case. I think that uh, my construction of Taylor Swift uh, in, my, in my head based on her music and based on, uh, you know, just like my... I think that for a lot of people... When I, I have better uh, constructions of them, and then when I meet them in real life, I'm disappointed. It happens a lot. It happens a lot with, with regular people. It happens a lot with people that I maybe have you know come to be a fan of on Twitter. Um, but yeah, I think that a lot of the cases, especially with 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 celebrities and people in Hollywood, I think that that you know your thoughts of them, like you you build them up to be this this like grand personality and this grand person like this genius and, and great talent and then you meet them, you're like ah you're just a weird person with problems like me too so this isn't great um i, I want taylor swift to be like this this pop queen and 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 i don't want to i don't want to break that that wall i don't want to know what her issues are um other than the ones that we can kind of already tell from from the outside looking in, right. um, I don't want to. I don't want her to fall below what she is to me right now. When it comes to internet trolls, how are you able to deal with that? Or do you, is it something that you go after them for, or do you just let them go at this point if somebody comes after you for something you might have said? Um, I mean. Re- as of recently, I think I've I've gotten a little bit better about about not letting things get to me, um, and I don't. I think that I'm a kind of a person that has has had thick skin um, for the most part uh, during my internet days. But in the past, I used to engage a lot more and kind of and try to bury people uh, for coming at me. And uh, now I've kind of just ha- I've come more to just like let those people pass, and if they don't like me then that's fine, whatever. I'm just not going to engage with them. I'm not going to bother, you know, to, to get a headache trying to, trying to combat with them. So, uh, yeah, I mean, like, as my following's grown, obviously there are more people that, that say dumb crap or, or, you know, come after me for my work and stuff. And, and like, I'm all for constructive criticism, and I'm all for, like, if somebody, ha- if somebody doesn't like me and, and they don't like my work or whatever, and they come at me and they're, and they're like polite and they're not, you know, hitting me with like abusive language and stuff like that. I'll, I'll interact with them and stuff like that. But if there are people that just like are straight up aggressive and, and coming at my throat, most of the time I'll, I'll kind of, of just, I'll just let that go just cause it's not worth the headache for me. Um, it, it, because there's so many of them now and, and, and I think that it's it's been a little bit better for for my mental health. Even though I mean I do love a fight. Uh, I love it. I love a good uh, love a good Twitter beef. Um, but you know I, I just don't want to I don't want to seem like somebody who who lives for that kind of thing, and I don't want to seem petty. So I've been trying to let a lot of it go. 
definitely much easier on the mental side of things, to say the least, because people just go a little bit too far when they're behind the keyboard. But you come on people's yeah, show like this and you get to talk behind the microphone. See how much better this is than just being a bastard right. behind the keys. Right. And I mean, like, I, I do, I do like engage with, with people who say, who say dumb crap and who say, um, who come after me or whatever. Like I do it occasionally if I feel like I can get some humor out of it. If I feel like I can make, uh, make some people laugh, uh, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll quote tweet somebody and, and give like a, a, a response and go back and forth with the person. Um, but you know, if I feel like I'm like, I'm not going to get anything out of this, uh, in, out of this interaction, then, you know, I, I'm just not going to engage. So, uh, you know, I, I, I try to be somebody who is accessible and who like you can go back and forth with and have, um, you know, even if it's not like, uh, even if it's not like super friendly, I'm somebody that you can kind of exchange barbs with and I can, I can, I can dish them out and I can take it. Um, and I think that's, that's something that not a lot of sports writers are, are great at. Uh, a lot of them can kind of dish it out, but aren't so great at taking it. So I try to be somebody who has thick skin and who can, uh, you know, you know, deal with a little bit of hate. Before getting you out of here, I should probably bring up hockey since that's one of the main reasons for having you on. And what better place to start than with the Mighty Ducks? What's your beef with Gordon Bombay for starters? Oh man! I mean, I, listen. I love I love the Mighty Ducks movies. Um, huge fan. Obviously, uh, I'm a big hockey guy, so you know that was a, a big part of my childhood. But watching those movies as an adult and kind of you know taking them in from a more analytical point of view, Gordon Bombay wasn't a wasn't a great coach. Like not and particularly not a good guy either. A little bit of a racist. I mean, he had a line with. Uh, with the white kids centering two black kids, and he called them the Oreo li- or the Oreo line. Um, not particularly in good taste, but again, I mean, it's product of the '90s, so I'll give him a little bit of a break there. I mean, Friends was homophobic, and now the Mighty Ducks a little bit racist. Um, but he's also uh, banging one of his one of his uh, players' moms. Not a good look, uh, and then giving the and then turning around giving the kid preferential treatment because of it. So not a good coach move there. Uh, and also just like kind of a dick, uh, you know, he, he only coached those kids because he was, uh, he got busted for, for drunk driving. And then, you know, his first move in being introduced to the team was driving his limo out onto the ice where the kids were playing, uh, on the pond, which is probably not the safest course of action. So pretty irresponsible guy, not somebody that you want in charge of your children. But then they give the heartwarming story of his relationship with Hans, and then it's all good when he ends up passing away. Look how emotional this guy is, how much he loved this man. Yeah, but I mean, like, there are a lot of... Uh, the negatives outweigh the positives <laughs> for Gordon Bombay. That's what I'll say. I mean, he he did steal banks uh, from the... What's the team called? I don't know, I remember even the name of that team, but, like, he stole stolen from the other team just based on the technicality uh, and pulled him away from his friends. And uh, that's, you know, just because he wanted to win and, and you know, get his revenge. So, uh, not the best guy. And then there was quite on the team when they, when they went to the uh, the junior games in D2. So, all right, Gordon, Gordon Bombay is not, not the guy that I would go to war for if I was a player. 
you went with the Adam Banks jersey instead of the Charlie Conway jersey, which is the usual mean for fans of the show. What made you go with Adam instead of Charlie? Well, I mean, Adam's a better player and uh, <laughs> the real star of the team. And Charlie is the kid that gets to uh, benefit from the coach playing in the small. So uh, that was an easy choice for me. Is a catfish or other ocean creature the most outrageous thing you know of that's been tossed onto the ice? And if you were going to sneak something into a hockey game to throw it onto the ice, what would it be? Oh, man. Uh, um, it certainly wouldn't be a dead animal. That's not something that I'm trying to sneak into a game. Uh, not something that I'm going to attach on my person uh, just for to hold the sake of this tradition. I think if I was going to throw something on the ice, I'd probably go with like a sex boy, like that person in Buffalo who, you know, who said, you know, Brady's dildo and threw it on the ice or threw it on the field. That's that's where I'm going because that's just going to get laughed and uh, it's still preposterous, but you know, you might get some shame out of it. So the catfish thing, yeah, not 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 my ideal cup of tea. I think that might be a little bit easier maybe to conceal or at least could For give sure. you a good story if you were to get patted down by someone like hey man <laughs> watch where you you're going huge, uh, you stuff a huge gold on your pants and, and you get flipped and you know, whoever feels it and you get caught you say hey man, that's my dick don't you know you impressed here or what <laughs> and uh you stuff a catfish down your pants and you get felt you're gonna get busted and that's way more embarrassing so so you can tell I don't have a lot of knowledge when it comes to hockey, which is why I've saved this for the last possible moment of our chat. But thankfully, you penned the non-hockey fans guide to this year's Stanley Cup final. I'll attach that in my show notes for folks that might not have much knowledge of the sport. To the non-hockey fan like myself, what do you think are the main points of things that we need to know as this Stanley Cup continues on here? Uh, I think, I mean, if, if you're looking for, like, the strengths and weaknesses of the respective teams, I mean, the Penguins have the best offensive players in the world. I mean, there's Sidney Crosby, there's Evgeny Malkin, uh, there's there's Phil Castle. Uh, those are the three guys that are going to put on the best show every night and um, do some of the best offensive talent in the world. And then on the Predator side, they've got probably the best defensive unit in the league. Um, and you know, obviously the the one guy that's getting more attention than the others is P.K. Subban, just because it's his first year in Nashville. Uh, Montreal traded him because, uh, I mean, there's it depends on who you ask, but it, it seems to be that the reason Montreal traded him was because he attracted too much attention to himself. Uh, you know, he he loves attention. He he you know, he, lo he loves the camera. He mucks it up, but he's a great player. He's elite uh, elite defenseman. Um, and so, you know, it's, I, I really hate when, when guys get, get criticized for just, you know, bringing personality and bringing entertainment to the game. Um, so I'm a big PK Subban fan. I want to see him win just to kind of throw it in the face of Montreal. Uh, and you know, I mean, I mean, being a Bruins fan also adds another layer to that because I love to see Montreal miserable. Um, so, uh, Subban's a guy that that everybody's paying to, paying attention to in this series, uh, and for good reason. Um, and you know, I, I think that it's going to be a, it's, it's game one was a really really weird 
experience just because uh, the Penguins got dominated for most of the game. I mean, they didn't get a single shot for 37 minutes, um, and they still won. And then that's just like a testament to how weird hockey can be at points. So I'm not putting too much, you know, stock into game one, and I'm not not taking too many takeaways away from it just because it was such a fluky aberration. Um, but I think this is going to be a really good series. And I think that even people who aren't typically big time hockey fans will enjoy it just because, uh, there's a lot of, there's a lot of, uh, exciting players that are involved in it. And, you know, on one side, you have PK Subban who might win and, and throw it in the face of, of, of Montreal. And I mean, it would be Nashville's first Stanley Cup and they're kind of emerging as like a really, really awesome hockey market. If you have a chance, just watch uh, one of the home games in Nashville. That place goes absolutely wild, uh, and I'm sure that Nashville, the city, is going to be an absolute party city um, during during those uh, during those home games. So, I, I mean, I would definitely recommend checking out one of the games in Nashville, whether it's three or four. Um, but I mean, even if the Penguins win, you have Sidney Crosby who will be getting his third Stanley Cup, and he's one of the best players uh, of this generation. So that's that's a big deal, um, and also they become the first the first team that repeats as Stanley Cup champions in 20 years. So that's that's a cool thing. They're, like no matter who wins, it's going to be a cool story that comes out of it. And I think that that's kind of a, a selling point for somebody who might not wa- may not watch or be interested in the cup otherwise. See, this is why I had you on because you could break down the Stanley Cup, and then I could follow that with asking about a Predators fan through marriage who also happens to be a major country music star and Carrie Underwood who quoted your tweet during the game of a gif of her dancing. Was that a top 10 retweet for you of all time, Carrie Underwood taking notice? Yeah, I mean, I don't want to sound like like or like I'm kind of jaded to this point, but like, there's not a lot of people on Twitter that it's like I get retweeted or I get quote tweeted and I'm like, oh my god, this is such a cool thing. Uh, but Carrie Underwood was was definitely up there. I mean, she's she's like a goddess, honestly. She's of another world. So for her to like, and and the weirdest part was that I didn't even tag her in the tweet. So like, I wasn't expecting, I wasn't like pandering or trying to to get her to notice me or anything like that. And I'm sure that she didn't even put two seconds of thought into who she was actually quote tweeting or anything like that. Like she still has no idea who I am, but for her to like to to find the tweet or and you know, or I'm sure somebody sent it to her or something like that. But for her to to even acknowledge my existence a little bit was awesome. I just can't can't even uh, can't even put it into words. She's like she's a goddess. And then the shooter shoot replies started flowing in from the gentlemen <laughs> of Twitter. Yeah, I mean that wasn't like a hey. You notice me? I'm favoriting your tweet. It was. She got like a. I think it was like nine thousand likes or something on that tweet. So I'm sure she's not going to notice notice mine. Uh, it wasn't a shooter shoot type of situation, but hey, I thought it was hilarious that somebody saw it that way and you know sent it to me. And so uh, I got to chuck a lot of it and decide to retweet it. Last question for you: Cavs or Warriors? Oh man, uh, <laughs> that's. I think I think I'm gonna go. Uh, I think I'm gonna go Warriors. I don't have any much uh, much basketball analysis to provide, but 
uh, the fact that the, the Celtics were able to beat the the uh, the Cavs in one game shows that hey, maybe they're not a uh, maybe they're not the uh, the powerhouse that the, the Warriors are this year. I mean, Kevin Durant coming gives them an, uh, another added element to that team, and they haven't lost yet. So uh, I'm going to pick the team that hasn't lost to the team that has lost one game. So. Perfect. And that 30 seconds was all the NBA Finals talk I can take because we've been getting it for the past three weeks to a month because everybody knew this was going to happen. So that's all we need yeah, to I say. Mean, like you could have you wrote you could have wrote an NBA Finals preview back in October. Everybody right. knew this was a matchup that was gonna that was gonna come in the finals. And I mean, you could have skipped the first three rounds of the playoffs. There was one loss between the two teams. So. Uh, you know the NBA Finals are are pretty drawn out. I think that that if I'm going to offer some legitimate basketball uh, commentary right now, I would say that the the first round needs to be like five games or three games, so best of three, best of five, uh, just because there's nothing interesting that ever comes out of the first round of the NBA playoffs. It's always uh, just like a murder show, um, just because the parody in the NBA isn't what it is in, in hockey and, and, and in some other sports. So, um, yeah, I mean, like, even the fact that, like, right now, the finals start, what, on Thursday, and they wrapped up last week, there's, like, six days between NBA action, which is crazy. Right. I'd be going nuts if I was, if I was covering the NBA and there was nothing for six days. I mean, you're just going to see the same stories pounded over and over again leading up to the finals. Uh, like I go crazy when there's an off day between, you know, the rounds in the Stanley Cup playoffs, and I mean, I think at most there was a two day break this year. Um, so yeah, I can't even imagine just like just getting hit over the head with those stories over and over and over again in like a six day break between the finals. So. Right. When playoffs start in April, it's a lot better if you just grow the mindset and think. I don't need to care about this until June. It makes things right. so much easier if you just say, once the summer comes, when kids are out of school, then I'll turn on the NBA. Because at this point, it's not going to make a difference. We're going to get the same right. two teams. Let's just carry on living our lives. <laughs> Thanks so much for coming on to the show. I had a lot of fun just talking about all the fun things that you're up to with your podcast, what you're able to do on a day-to-day basis. The next time I have more time to go down the watering hole of the brunch podcast, I'll probably reach out and try to have you on again, just because of the fun topical things you guys are able to talk about throughout the week. But thanks for your input on some more popular things, I guess, if you will, more things people are interested in. We covered a lot today, so hopefully people are taking notes. But thanks again for your input. Thanks again for teaching us about the Stanley Cup Finals and hockey. And hopefully we can do this again soon, and you'll enjoy these next couple of games we got coming up on the ice as well. Absolutely, man. I really enjoy it. Thanks for having me. That's going to do it for The Bridge. You can listen to this show and all previous shows over on my website at londonbridge.com. That's L-U-N-D-I-N-B-R-I-D-G-E. You can also follow me on Twitter under that same handle, at London Bridge. You can find The Bridge on iTunes by searching for The Bridge Sports Podcast. There you'll find the newest episodes of The Bridge every Friday night. And also be sure to subscribe, rate, and review. 
You can also find episodes of The Bridge on SoundCloud, Google Play, Stitcher, or on TuneIn by searching for Sports Radio America on Wednesday nights. In the next installment of The Bridge, we'll get back into discussion of the NBA playoffs, dive into some Major League Baseball, circle the wagons of the NFL, and whatever else I happen to have up my sleeve. On The Bridge, keeping you connected with all things sports.